Hi, everybody. We are Matt and Kevin, and welcome to Season 2 of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can also find us on social media at Believe in OWL and Believe.com. This week, we cover the final week of the league's regular season, another experimental mode, and a potential leak for Overwatch 2. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to week 29 of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast gameplay section. Uh, hooray. We're, Yay. We're, the season is, is, is finally reaching to its, its, its final climax. We're waiting for them to, like, go to Asia and get quarantined and get all that stuff done. Um, so, at, at least they made it to the end. <laughs> uh, how's your weekend in gaming and et cetera been, Kevin? Uh, my weekend gaming has been pretty fun. Uh, I've been trying to keep in touch with everybody, playing a lot of party games, and we're starting to turn that corner, or I don't know if we already did. I don't know. It's like a billion degrees uh, all the time. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we're in the fall quarter yet. Technically, Tec- fall isn't until, I think, what, like September, I want to say? September, right, right. September, yeah, September is, I think, fall yeah. officially yeah so yeah, we're yeah. still we're still in summer we're still in summer okay it feels like summer but yeah once we turn that corner into fall i know that there's a lot of games that are on my checklist that i'm like oh, okay i'm ready to get this um i'm ready to play um for example uh jackbox party pack 7 is supposed to come out in the fall um Ooh. one of the games that i have uh i've been waiting for for a while um crab champions is coming out um it, it it's a game made by the guy who made the crab brave uh and it's a third person shooter but you're a crab on a beach oh my god multiplayer gaming and there's also like a racing thing in there too so i i have no idea what's going on in that game but uh yeah that's something that i'm looking forward to um and then also the the biggest one for me is the crown tundra um I know it's not really a big thing. I don't know when this is coming out, but um, we were some, we might get a Nintendo Direct this weekend. Um, oh, we might. I, there, there's like talks of like people saying, "Yeah, there might be a Nintendo Direct this weekend to kind of update us before the fall quarter." And there's other people who are like, "Yeah, no, that might not happen." Um, but like the Pokemon community is like. It's probably not going to talk about anything for us, but for like the general audience, they're thinking like, yeah, this is probably the time that they'll update us on fall quarter because usually this is when like, um, what what is it? Uh, GDC is going to happen. Like GDC is usually on like right now or like E3, like those kinds of conferences are coming up usually around this time. So um, that is usually the time when, game companies want to inform you on on certain games that are coming out before the holiday season so we'll see if there's anything that comes up uh, how about you how's how's your gaming sessions going they're going all right um i i finally just ponied up and bought the forest skin and the echo skin because i wasn't getting anything in my loot boxes so the uh the the event is now over it finished i think Sometime this morning, we're recording on Wednesday, so it, it, I, it ended sometime today. I don't know the exact time because I was probably asleep. Um, aside from that, so I, I, I auditioned to be on a, uh, not audition, but I took a test to be on a game show. It's called The Chase, which it used to be on in like late 2010s. It was actually, I really liked it. It was really cool. Um, and so they were trying to bring it back and they did this like written test online problem is is that uh so it was a 50 question thing you had to type in your answers you had 13 seconds to uh to answer which isn't a lot of time um and like i was just having computer problems with just making sure that my computer didn't wig out and go crazy with the camera um and then i had autocorrect on my my laptop which I turned off autocorrect on my phone just because i hate it so much but what happened was i type in an answer uh, my my computer wouldn't recognize it as a word, 
And as I hit the, the submit button, it would change my answer into what it thought it should be. So needless to say, I did not make the cut, uh, which really upsets because I love trivia so much. Like Jeopardy is, is my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have officially turned off autocorrect on all my devices just because it screwed me over so many times. I just, no, no more autocorrect. Yeah, I, I need autocorrect. I'm terrible at spelling. Um, like I'll, or like I'll know how to spell it in general and then I'll just be like, uh, this double check. But yeah, um, I understand like, especially when you're trying to type in words that are like game related, uh, like sometimes they'll just autocorrect it to something different. Um, I've had that happen a couple times. I don't remember like terrible stories about it, but I know, I know about it. See, with autocorrect off, if I make a mistake, at least it's my own mistake. At least it's my fault. It's not my computer trying to be smarter than me. Yeah, it. I, I want to be responsible for my own mistakes. Uh, I I did mean to say, pug, uh, not as a dog, but as a as an acronym, and I don't want to capitalize every letter, so. <laughs> Please just let me, let me say who's up for pugs, and I don't mean the dogs. But I mean also the dogs, though, right? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the dogs are cool. Uh, but like, if I'm saying I'm playing pugs, I don't mean like I'm. <laughs> no, I'm not playing pogs. <laughs> this is not the '90s. Oh God, uh, pogs! <laughs> yeah, it, it. I'm playing pugs. Pick up games. Oh boy. Technology sometimes like it could be the best, but it's also the worst. Yeah. All right. So let's get into this final week of games for the regular season of the Overwatch League. Um, I have my feelings on, on how this week went down. What did your overall feeling of this week? What was that, Kevin? Uh, it, it felt weird just to watch some of these games just because like, I understand that they're trying to play catch up, but at the same time, like some of these games are just wonky. Um, I mean, I, I was lucky enough. I, I caught both of the shock games, so they were, they were solid, but like some of these games are just like, yeah, this is kind of, kind of weird. If you look at a lot of these, uh, these matchups, there's no stakes in it because the, the the teams are already locked in and like winning or losing it's not going to change where they end up or what their positioning is uh, there were a couple where it might have it might have changed but for for some teams it's like they're playing as a formality you know so there's it's it didn't feel like a real like finale to the season it felt like this should be something that happens in the uh the mid season you know where it's like it's not as important I guess. Yeah. Also, did you did Hex cast at all this week? I didn't see him. I I don't watched. think so. I I didn't see Hex at all, and I think that I I, I mean the dude needed a break, and I think oh, this yeah. is the way to go. But yeah, I hope they gave him a break. Um, okay, so day one. Uh, so the bands this week are still Genji, Tracer, Zarya, Brigitte. Day one, we had the Titans versus the Uprising in a 3-0. The Gladiators versus the Mayhem in a 1-3. Um, pretty predictable, I would say. The Titans were on an upward trend. They've been doing relatively well, especially with, um, with Shockwave still doing what he does. Uh, Glads versus Mayhem. I still think that the Mayhem are the better team at this point. I didn't watch this one, but because I saw the result, and it's like, eh, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, day one was kind of a, a like non consequential. Yeah. And so we move on to day two: the Spark versus the Dynasty. Spark took that in a three zero. The Spitfire versus the NYXL was a one to three. The Justice versus the Shock was an zero and three. Not surprising. Um, the Fuel versus the Defiant was a 3-1. to one. Glads versus the Rain was a 3-1. to one. And the Valiant versus the Titans was a 3-0. and oh. Kevin, tell me about how the Justice versus the Shock game went. Yeah, um, 
the reason why I watched this game in particular is this is the first time that Decay is playing for the Justice. Um, I just wanted to see how he meshed in with this team, considering that, you know, they had that whole backlash with the Dallas Fuel prior to his trade. Um, and seeing if that's really the case, or maybe he was like being, I don't, well, kind of defiant in a way where he just didn't want to play for the team. And he was starting to find synergy with more of the people who were on, you know, the, the Washington justice and wanted to move over there. So that was a little bit of an interesting thing about this match. Um, the main thing that went down here is like rascal and ons are insane players for the shock. Um, when they were playing in this match, uh, they, they were able to flex around quite a bit, but when you have a hit scan like Ons playing from the back line and then Rascal on Junkrat because that's the current weird meta that we're in right now. Um, Junkrat meta. Yeah, Junkrat meta. You you could feel when Jake was casting this match, he's just like, all oh, the flashbacks, I'm ready. Like <laughs> He's like, put me in coach. Like He's like so ready. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of Junkrat play on Busan and rascal was just able to make that work out for them really well and Anza is just playing in the back line um there was one on busan where moth just went off um he was just like oh well i'm a zen i'm out here i fought the widow for a little bit and then he ends up killing two and they're like is violet is Violet going to go carry mode right now? And he, he grabs another one before he dies, and they're like, oh, that's three, and they're still contesting point. And, like, the the fact that the shock can continue to contest point, um, even if the fight looks lost, just shows, like, how insane these players are. Like, they're taking, like, 1v3s and still staying alive somehow. Um, and just keeping that is what won them the game. Um, but Decay did really show up on Busan, uh, playing Widow, just being able to find a couple people in the back. Um, yeah, and then Watchpoint Gibraltar, they swapped out uh, Rascal and put in Striker. Um, they were just trying out a couple things, and it, it was pretty much... The rest of it wasn't really, like, insane to watch. Um, but it's just interesting to see how... Decay really does fit in better with a team that's willing to dive and give him space so that is something that i think decay likes better and washington does look better with decay on it uh uh-huh. versus the shock but even though it was like an oh and three like i can see this team doing a little bit better and possibly being an upsetter mm-hmm. so i watched the titans versus the valiant on this day and um yeah, so I, I had a really high hopes for the Titans. I didn't think that they would take the Valiant. I just, I would have liked to see them win at least one map. Um, the best showcasing of the Titans was probably on Nepal. Um, just because the first on Shrine and Sanctum, it was pretty even. It was a lot of trading back and forth. But once you hit Village, that's when the Valiant are like, okay, I'm bored of this. Let's just, let's go to town. Um, the Titans just really didn't know how to, they don't know how to deal with the aggression of the, the Valiant. And also throughout all of this, you see, um, there's times when the Valiant did go dive and the Titans have just been playing on the, uh, the double shield meta this entire time. So they're not used to playing up against a, a professional team that goes dive. I think that really, that really hurt them at this point. Um, I think just also like the mainly the speed and the ability to rotate quick engages, quick disengages that dive offers the LA Valiant who are already like they're number four, I believe they're the number four seed in this tournament for four or five. So they're, they're high up there. And with that amount of, of skill advantage, plus the, uh, the, the relative lack of experience playing on the, the Titans it's just a perfect storm for uh for the Titans to lose this. Um Shockwave still was probably the uh the high point of the the Titans. 
Um, except he was just really being negated because he's used to having a lot of space, a lot of shields on, on both sides. So he can just sit back and do what he does. But when he's getting dived so often, like he, he really can't do much. When it comes to playing in these kinds of games, like the Valiant do take advantage of, once again, experience. They, they've been in this league for a while and they know how to use it to the best of their advantage. So, um, yeah, you would expect the Valiant to do pretty well, but I do like the little glimmers of hope that we get from this new Titans roster. I will say that um, at least for the Valiant, like they they didn't take it easy, which is like at least they are they've seen what the Titans can do. They see that they have the potential, and so they're not like they're not giving them like pity play. Like KSP is still popping off out of his mind, getting amazing headshots just. Him on the Ash and the Widow is absolutely insane. Um, yeah, and, and also just Lastro on the Ana with the Bionades and the Sleeps were, were very key to um, shutting the Titans down. So quick question for you, Kevin. Um, the Ana is is pretty much an essential pick right now just because the amount of healing she can do plus the uh the the damage boost she can do onto the winstons and the uh the off tanks when she has her nano plus the uh the sleep ability to shut down any player who's really causing trouble um i've seen compositions this weekend where you don't get the ana and you get the zen which like yes you get the damage boost some of the time you can also have the the trance but it just doesn't seem like a good pick. Like, what, what do you think is the mentality behind that? Uh, the difference between an Ana player and a Zen player is the way how they, they tackle the issues. So the best way to say it is, like, Ana has to constantly be focused on who she's healing. Zen doesn't. Uh, Zen can focus on dealing more damage and be more offensive-oriented. The only the trade-off of that is if you get dove, you really have to rely on your teammates to help you if you're Zen versus Ana. Because if you're Ana, you can sleep and be like, hey, he's asleep for five seconds. I need somebody over here to help me clean this up. Um, but yeah, when you're Zen, you have more of a defensive prowess. But um, you can... I, I guess it's more for defensive holds in a way where you can keep the healing up um without having to worry about it when you're on it you have like you have to worry about like where your aim is at um who you're focusing uh for healing and for damage and jumping between the two so it really does come down to school of thought and the way how the team wants to play like um i feel like if you're more if you're gonna play it slower like if you're playing with like a zarya um like a zarya winston i would see you know, Ana is probably better because you could really utilize the Nano um, on on both the Winston and the Genji. The other one is like if you're running Zen, you are, you're erasing targets as quickly as you can. The game plan, if you're Ana, it's for sustain. If you're playing Zen, it's to kill quicker. Um, it really just does come down to the way how the team wants to play, though. But I mean, if your team is just running a Mercy as the other healer, like, and you're the Zen, like, where where is the healing? Because typically what these teams are doing is they're they're putting the mercy pocketing the ash to get that damage boost so the rest of their team with the zen is kind of relying on the zen for their healing and it's it's a very slow spot heal like you you, you're only healing one person at a time so that that's a i think that's a huge vulnerability in your composition yeah it it is depending on who's piloting it (laughs) um if you have somebody like Violet or somebody like, you know, Jonak on, on a Zen, like the amount of damage they're outputting um, is far more than anything, any other like healing support possible. Um, I do understand like this is something that took me a while to get. Um, but when you're at a higher level, if you're, you can get healed on occasion and be like, okay, yeah, I could survive. But you should be relying on your map knowledge of where health packs are. And the best way, the best way to do this, honestly, for like you and I is to play a lot of Hammond. 
you play a lot of Hammond, and if you get low, you just zip away and find the largest health pack possible. And then you go and you you re-engage like another second, like another another day where you know that they're going to be pushing in. So that's more interesting in my opinion. Um, and I know that a lot of players should be taking advantage of that. It's just like, hey, I know where the health pack is. Let's go to that um, instead of constantly relying on our healer um, in a way. But if you, you know, if you are getting spot healing from the Zen, just let it happen. Um, it, it helps a little bit, but it's not really like, you know, it's not a lot. It's not enough to keep you in the fight. It's enough to help the Zen get trans faster. So moving on to day three, uh, the final day of the, uh, the regular season. So um, on one hand, we had some really good matchups this day, but again, like it's teams that are already solidified in their, in their place. So like it, it was nice to see these teams play. It was a, it was a, I guess a good send off, but it didn't feel like there was any stakes or any pressure to these matches. Um, so the dynasty versus the spitfire was a three, two in favor of the dynasty. The fuel versus the eternal was a one to three in favor of the eternal. The shock versus the rain was a three to two in favor of the shock and the valiant versus the gladiators was the, uh, was a two to three in favor of the gladiators. Um, so Dynasty versus Spitfire, it was a rematch of last week's two matches where the Dynasty won both of those 3-0. to zero. Um, Something that Wolf said that, like, it kind of encapsulates what I've been saying about this entire weekend is, like, these matches don't mean anything. They're just for pride and morale. They're just matches to finish out the season. They're not really earning your team anything. Um, and but before I go into that, was is there any way, Kevin, you think that they could have gone around that? Or is it just... Like, I feel like it was just inherent in the fact that it's the last week of the season. Like, it's like the last week of school. You don't do anything. You just kind of show up to um, to show up. Yeah, this is kind of the last – this is the last Friday of the year, school year. Um, people are just showing up just to clean up the rest of the – It's your lame duck tendency is, is the league where it's like there's, if there's no real consequence, you, you just have to – you have to be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's that mandatory, just show up to class, we'll put on a movie kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's honestly what this felt like. It, it didn't feel like a huge bang. There was not a lot of like, there's not a lot of stakes here. It's more like just watching the games and just being like, okay, yeah, this is, we have to round out the season for placement sake, but um, there's not a lot going on. Uh, so yeah, so the Dynasty versus the Spitfire, um, this was a five map thing. So the, the London Spitfire definitely put up much more of a fight than they did last week, which I'm glad to see that they had some, uh, something in the tank that they're not just going to roll over like they did. Um, a lot of like, if you look on, on Ilios ruins and well, were pretty much just decided by who gets the better ults and who can, who can deploy their ults better and more coordinated with their team. Um, in Lighthouse, the the London Spitfire just absolutely took over. Uh, the Soul Dynasty were very scattered. They had um, they had no idea how to engage the London Spitfire. They're, they're kind of just both running the the same things. It's Ash, Sumber, Winston, Diva, Mercy, and Ana. Like that's this that's pretty much the standard composition you see throughout the league right now. Uh, teams are already trained, even though they had the um, the pre meta shift for the Risa and the Sigma, most teams are already getting prepared for playing on this new patch. I just dropped something. Um, they're, they're getting prepared to play in the new patch where they don't have it. So this is what most teams are running. And um, it just looked, I think the Soul Dynasty just looked lost a lot of the time. Um, like you move on to Route 66, like, London Spitfire have an amazing defense. Glister's getting his kills, um, but Soul just, they don't look like they know what they're doing. Um, which, I mean, that's fine when you're playing on a lower tier team like the London Spitfire, but what are you going to do when it comes up to uh, to the actual grand finals matches where 
you're going up against teams who like they made their name on dive and maybe they didn't do too well with the double shield barrier but now that dive is back they're looking to to stomp you we're at that point again where we're having the full meta shift this is like but it's backwards it's in reverse so when dive was initially coming out a lot of players were all about that mindset of going after kills going making sure that you can win your fight first then focus on the objective um what goats happened it, it was flipped like we we went to objective based gaming again where we're like you know stay together get get the point if they fight us on point we win the point um and vice versa now we're going back to this old school way of thought where it's like yep gotta gotta go murder again uh just <laughs> we're going to the back line oh boy oh boy oh boy here i go killing again here i go killing again uh Bopulous Michael time, you know, just we're, we're going out there. Um, that's just the way to think. It's, it's a different mindset. And, you know, who, who better to do that than the old London Spitfire, uh, aka the Soul Dynasty? Like, they, they kind of vibe with that. They were able to get into the back line. That's why their, their uh, championship skin is a, is a Winston with, a jetpack uh, with like jet engines on it. Uh, I think for, if you look a lot of, in a lot of these matches, especially in um, dynasty spitfire, what you're, what, what I've been noticing is that if, as long as a team is able to get a really, really solid defense in the first round, then that kind of, it feels like that decides who's going to win the map in general, because once you get that good defense, you, you can easily, um, you can easily cap a uh, cap a point because they don't get very far. Whereas if like, if you have a very strong offense and your defense is nothing, then it's easy to snowball with dive. Like you just keep diving and chasing them all the way back to their spawn. Don't let them out of the spawn room. Yeah. It, it's a lot of pressure. One of those things is like having a good defensive team versus a full on offensive team. As you mentioned, like you could win an offensive base map or you could win like a payload map with just pure offense and you're doing really well. But if you're pure offense on defense, you're going to lose just because like every fight that you lose is more impactful when you're on defense um, versus offense. You could just keep throwing bodies until it works. So the fuel versus the eternal, this was an interesting one. Like I was hoping this one would be um, more impactful because the, the Dallas Fuels really have been on a huge upward trend. They're they're doing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the season. They're they're not really a joke team anymore like they used to be. And the Paris Eternal, like they're in the number three seed. Like Paris Eternal has had a, a huge resurgence this season. They're they've been a lot better than I think people gave them credit for. But the thing is, like Paris is already locked in their number three spot. So again, there is no pressure on them to really do anything. The casters were talking about it. It's like I feel like this is just going to be for Paris to try out new things to like let their main roster rest. Um, and the Paris Eternal did win this one three to one. So um, even then, like it just even if that's what they were doing, it just shows how strong they were. So for for Busan, I felt like the Dallas Fuel in general played better than the Paris Eternal. Like they were they were getting really good holds and really good early picks they were able to recontest very well and i think that they were just better um they had better planning but what happened was like if you look at um the sanctuary map especially there's one point where uh doha does a really nice emp but it he immediately dies and the emp misses the sigma on paris then paris does a huge flux takes out three and then all that planning is absolutely gone so for, for me, for that map, at least it's, it seemed like Paris only won just because they were able to like use their ults in a way that negated everything that Dallas was planning. But I, I do feel like Dallas was playing better on that map at least. Um, let's see the, the fuel one on, on route 66, which this was their only win. Um, I feel like, Again, it's what I was talking about with the dive thing. Like, if you have a strong hold on dive, on if you have a strong defense, then your attack round is going to be a piece of cake. Like it was here, the field didn't really have much of, of a struggle here. They were able to to keep the Paris Eternal back. Um, Crimson on the Ana was huge with sleep darting 
as many uh, they sleep dark they slept our Ben Best way too many times. I feel really bad for Ben Best because he's, he's trying his best as that main tank Winston. But as soon as he dives anywhere, on a sleep dart or uh, a bionade, so he immediately gets deleted. Um, and so, like, Paris just, Paris just didn't know what they were doing. Dallas Fuel had a, a very close hold, like, right at the big girls. And they were able to capitalize on that short distance to just snowball or, or build ults and then just dump all those ults all at once in a way that the Paris Eternal really couldn't respond and just snowball from there. Um, and for the rest of the maps, like Numbani and Volskaya, it felt really weird because um, both of these maps, they ended in Paris winning in overtime on like the last fight. And the last fight would go on for a very long time, like minutes. It was, it was just, it's disgusting how long these fights took. Um, but I think in the end, um, what it was was Paris is the more aggressive team. They, they have really, they tend to be more forward pushing and stronger. Whereas I feel like maybe Dallas was a little bit intimidated by going up against Paris, even though like it didn't really matter in the end. Um, but I do think that this game like really sh- really showed how important Ana is. Like, uh, like I said, Crimson was doing amazing. Um, Fielder playing at two hundred ping still gets play of the game. Like even though he he starts off on some of these maps on Zen, and they're just losing terribly. But as soon as he switches to the Ana, like the difference is immediate. Like his team's not dying. His team is pushing. Um, he's getting like good damage and healing shots out. So. Um, it just definitely proves that like the Ana has so much healing ability, so much utility with that sleep, and with the, uh, I think that the the nano boost is essential to getting your Winston some value. And like you said before, don't primal when your your nano does Winston. Yeah, if you, if you want to like try to get people to do stuff, um, I re- I highly recommend nanoing the winston when your genji has blade now oh <laughs> this is actually like one of the one of my favorite texts that like i make my team do nowadays um what we'll do is i'll have the genji dash up right pop blade right what's the first thing that a team does when you hear you know the nano like a potential nano blade going off right you hear the you hear the ana give nano and you see a genji dash up right you're like, okay, that's a nano blade. Let's focus that. The thing that you don't expect is the Winston already on your brig, who's nanoed. Now you have to worry about a taser monkey with nano and a blade ninja dashing through your team. Like you, it, it's hard enough to to say like, oh, let's get the Genji. Like, yeah, sure, you can melt him down, but that's why you have the Zarya for the bubble, like. The Winston's going to be fine. If he needs to get out, he has Primal. Like, the entire point of it is to just get in the back line and make them freak out split over focus. who they need to focus. Yeah. You, you literally split their focus by saying, oh, you either focus down, you know, the tank who takes half damage but deals two times as much damage or the Blade Ninja who can cut through your team in, like, one hit. So, take your pick. Um, yeah, that, that's one of my favorites. Also, you could do the same thing with like Nano Ryan if you if you if you're running a death ball comp, you yeah. Nano the Ryan and you let the blade fly in the back and you're just like okay, uh, I don't know now. Yeah, so Ana just huge on this map, uh, this matchup. Uh, just to give perspective on how like impressive Fielder is, like Fielder is playing in Korea. He's on 200 ping. The rest of his team is, I'm guessing in the u.s if they're not in europe so he's playing like he's playing significantly higher ping he's playing significantly slower he's still got 59 defensive assist kills which is 20 more than crimzo is and the same amount of time that they've played and like for all the people who've been sleeping on the paris eternal um it's been three months since they have lost to someone who are not the shock or the fusion who the shock and the fusion like are the top in this division right now so I think Paris Eternal has like solidified that they are a top three team. Yeah, they, they are a scary team. And what I don't want to say it's just XZ and Sparkle, but I they, mean, soon got some good play too. 
Yeah, exactly. They they have a solid lineup. They have a solid team. So it's just a matter of like honing all those pieces together and making something great. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're doing it in a lot faster of a process than what the San Francisco Shock had to go through. Um, like our season one was garbage. Like we ended in, I think it was like ninth of 17 teams. And we're just like, yeah, that that's not good. It's not good at all. Um, I feel like I, but Paris was like, not Paris, but San Francisco was built for that though, right? They were built to have like a rough season one and then season two was going to be amazing. Yeah, but they built for season two, but they didn't expect to get the pieces to work, mm-hmm. right? Like they expected, oh yeah, Sinatra and Super are going to do great with Moth. That's going to be fine. But the second that they got like Violet and like Choi, like those pieces like on paper it didn't work um until they did and it took them a little bit of time to figure out like how to make you know make rascal work in this roster make architect work in the roster when he was still on the team and x y and z like getting all these pieces together to make it work um it was good until uh and then they proved that it does work you know season two champions right there so yeah, you don't have to have a full Korean team in order to win. That was essentially the story that we got out of season two. Um, so once season three rolls out, like we were expecting, you know, a lot of more mixed roster teams, and Paris is another example of that. Um, we're gonna ha- we're gonna see a lot of really solid teams uh, work out this way. So Paris is is very settled in their uh, number three seed. They're getting better on the dive. Ben Best is doing a little bit better on his Winston as long as he doesn't get slept. Um, hopefully they're able to go far in the, uh, the grand finals because I really want to see them do well. I'd like to see, I'd like to see Philly win just to see Philly win, but I do want to see Paris go far. Um, so Kevin, how is the shock versus the rain? Uh, a lot closer than I wanted it to be, to be honest. Um, they were testing out a couple of like interesting things, um, with the loss of Baby Bay, the Atlanta Rain are starting to play saucy. Um, not as an adjective, but I as love a that, noun. that player name <laughs> so much. It, I think it's the best name in the league. Fight me on this one. Saucy is such a good name. Yeah, it's a solid name. Um, he turned 18 in July. so um, And he's been playing on the Atlanta Academy team since... Uh, since early of last year so he has a little bit of you know coming up he played in the lower leagues until he was able to finally play in the league and when baby bay left that slot was open so uh congrats on saucy on moving up really gave the shock a little bit of a run um but the way how it played out busan once again um the the shock took it but it was very very close um two to one um and yeah it was just basic outplay at that point um the rain would go on to take both havana and king's row um once again very close maps three uh three and four um a three to four on havana and two to three on king's row so these teams are playing like very very close together like they're neck and neck almost um Hanamura, when they got there, um, the the shock were just able to hold down the last point well enough to take the game. So once again, very close. Um, and on Ilios, it was a two to one going in favor of the shock. And the shock on the last map was Lighthouse on Ilios. Um, essentially, what they did is they went full dive and they just tried to get in and. By the time that the they were able to flip the point, it was like I think it was a ninety nine ninety nine at that point. They flipped the point, but they pushed into their spawn, like tried to push them back as far as they could uh, to prevent them from even touching the point. Um, and that that's something that like I know a lot of smaller teams don't take advantage of, but like when you know you have the point. Um, take more space into your opponent's territory. Uh, that way you could steal their mega health packs that they have. 
Um, and also, they can't really contest unless they go through you. So, um, yeah, the, the Shock played this out. But once again, I feel like the Rain are testing out... Obviously, they're testing out new pieces. And the Shock are just trying to get out of this hero pool. Uh, it's kind of not helpful for them at all. So that's what I'm seeing, at least. Um, very close game, honestly. I wish that the rain are i wish them the best of luck going into the postseason they did get the seventh seed i believe um so it's just a matter of where they want to who they want to pick up in the playoff rounds and so on and so forth all right so the last match of the regular season was a battle for la it was the gladiators versus the valiant the ninth battle for la it's four and four right now the last three of these went to the glads this one actually kind of it kind of had stakes for the Gladiators. So if the Gladiators lost this, they would drop behind the rain into the seventh spot. Uh, the Gladiators did win this, taking their lead in the battle for LA up to not, it's a five to four. So out of the ninth, they are, they are coming out ahead. Um, in general, I'm not really sure how to feel about these teams because they keep flip-flopping and like, who's better. There's like no, I don't think there's a definitive answer to who's better. Like the Valiant, I think, have had a much better season, but they keep losing to the Gladiators. And the Gladiators keep beating the Valiant, but they just keep taking losses everywhere else. Yeah, it comes out to the way how they play each other. Um, it just shows how close these teams are, really. Um, not in terms of location, but actual skill level as well. Um, going back and forth throughout the year, uh, throughout you know the history, um, as well as seeing, you know, how close they are in terms of like actual standings. So, yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get interesting. I feel the key for this matchup. This was a uh, this was a three two. So it was not a uh, was it, it was three, yeah this was a three two. So this wasn't a uh, a rollover anyway. Like I said, the Gladiators were were fighting to keep their number uh, five spot. No, their sixth spot. Yeah, they keep it in our number six spot. Um, Valiant didn't really matter anyway. I don't know if they were actually trying in this match because, like, like we've been talking about, like there's no stakes for them. Um, but at least when the Gladiators side, they were, they were playing pretty hard. Like they were focusing down KSP, uh, who is really huge, probably their biggest damage dealer on the team, uh, probably even over like KSF or whoever else they want to put in. Um, but once you focus down KSP, um, you really the the Valiant can't really do anything else. Like they they're down a player, they're down out the huge damage you get from uh, the dynamite, the potential Bob coming out, um, just the rapid fire from the Ash, uh, and so there's that. And again, I think both sides got the memo in this that if you get a really good strong defense, then your offense is going to be pretty easy because that happened. Uh, on both sides, they were pretty much trading that. I think a, a really interesting matchup is Havana because Havana is one of those maps where you either hold really strong or you finish. Um, it was interesting to see because the Valiant started this one by uh, by holding the spawn. So they were the Gladiators had a, a little bit of time where they just could not leave the spawn. I think they had two two rounds of trying to attack it before eventually they pushed the Valiant back. But that ate up so much time. Um, so the Valiant were able to still come back and contest while the cart was still pushing out of spawn, which gave them more opportunities to set up and just burn time off the clock, which was really helpful because just by virtue of time, the Gladiators weren't even able to finish point A. Um, when the Valiant were going to attack, the... Uh, I think they were just going for better positioning in the high ground, but the gladiators set up in the hotel uh, and like immediately they just dropped down and, and tried to defend on point, which gave up so much time because the, the Valiant had a free push up to a first left turn. So it was, it was pretty much an easy win for them. Um, I'm wondering if this is going to be the trend for the next week of, uh, of, uh, grand finals is it is it gonna be kevin do you think just like 
really aggressive defenses and holds and like whoever wins that defensive game wins the match. Cause that's the trend that I've noticed all this week. Yeah. I, I feel like there is a bigger emphasis nowadays on defense. Um, the better your defense, the less offense you have to play. And teams are starting to pick up on that. Um, it, it's really, it's really tough, honestly, to play defense on payload maps and stuff like that, especially Havana. Um, but yeah, if you hold defense really well, you have you get your games, you get less time to play a game, so it's easier in a way. So uh, it just shows, like, yeah, even if you're on the offensive, you are making the attack. The defense is if you're if you have a good defense, you essentially win the game. Right. Um, so, Kevin, now knowing that, seeing what we've seen this week, knowing that the meta is going to be different going into Grand Finals, um, knowing that there are teams that are going to benefit from having no hero pool and from returning to the dive, what do you think we can expect to see um, in this, this final push of the, the Grand Finals tournament? Uh, expect a lot of dive, but a lot of reserved dive i don't know how else to describe it i do feel like the three-on-three play is going to happen um that's traditionally how it's worked where um you would have three people essentially be on offense and get as much damage out as you can while three people just trying to like go back and play it safe on you know defense half um whoever gets dove on so it's really a three-on-three and we'll we'll see who takes what uh, when it gets down to that, um, it, it's not always going to be on three, three on three. I'm just saying that as like the basic rule of thumb, where you know that teams know how to play a certain way, um, and especially in dive, your supports are very vulnerable, and your DPS who have no mobility are very vulnerable. So those two essentially, if they're if they're left alone, you are going to have a hard time. Um, but it's it's easier said than done we'll just see who wins uh the backline dive and not saying that every team is going to play dive like that but the the current meta dictates that because of the weakness of shields mm-hmm. but we'll see if you know teams decide to switch it up we've seen teams you know just be like you know what screw it we're playing may um <laughs> we're playing may doomfist we're playing reaper doomfist it's all good like just random things you're going to be reminded of Chandelier Bastion, uh, potentially. You, you never know what's going to happen, especially when it comes down to playoff rounds. And we, we were wrong, too. We didn't expect a lot of these teams who are in these upper parts right now to even be here. Oh, yeah. Um, so when it I comes down to... I never seen the, 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 the Dallas Fuel getting as good as they did. Yeah. Like, I didn't expect the Florida Mayhem to be up here, honestly. I thought, like, the rain would be number four consistently. Um but yeah, Florida's proved me wrong. Yaki on his chasers, like insane. So we're starting to see all of that go go through. So we'll see how the lack of a hero pool is going to affect the way how these players are going to play out against each other. Yeah, I'm excited to see North America and Asia finally like meeting up and and seeing if we can detect any style differences there. Um, See if like we is is the Shanghai Dragons team really the best in the league, or is the San Francisco Shock or the 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 Philly Fusion able to take them out? Exactly. That's what I want to see that as well. I want to see where these teams end up landing. Um, I want to see you know the clash of both of both the Asia Pacific region and you know North America finally clash and. Yeah, we finally got to see who's the best of the best and who gets to take home the trophy. All right, anything else, Kevin? Anything you want to you wanna tell our, our lovely listeners? Any final thoughts, perspectives, coaching advice, life advice, love advice, Kevin advice? Uh, I, I can't give you any of them on the last three. Uh, <laughs> I, I would just say, you know, Overwatch-wise, keep it up. Um, if, you're, if you're working on your dive game, uh, watch a lot of old footage. I would say, like, the old Team Korea back in the day – um, Element Mystic. You wanted to look at uh, why the Soul Dynasty were projected to be one of the best teams going into that format. Um, going into the Overwatch League season, that is the reason why. Just look at look at their gameplay. 
Uh, they ran a Winston Zaria as well, and those teams are scary. Uh, even though they're older now, like that still applies today. So I feel like players who do have the old history of like knowing, yeah, this is how dive works. This is how it's going to be. Um, is it's really going to benefit you going into this next competitive season, um, playing Overwatch wise. So keep that in mind. Um, yeah, that that's about it. If you're looking for a team. Uh, keep your friends close and uh, also give us suggestions for what you guys want us to do for our one year like I can we'll we'll think about something we're very limited in terms of what we can actually do so yeah just pitch us an idea it won't hurt send us an email send us a tweet send us an instagram message send us a message on facebook we have all of those i'm not always like super active in posting which is my fault um but like i do check them please give us give us some love i get really excited when i see there's a notification for our, our email but it's just saying hi someone signed into your twitter and it was me signing onto my twitter under our twitter because it logged me out of our twitter so uh <laughs> Yeah, give send us a message, please. Like, if there's something you want us to talk about, something you want us to do, any like ways you want to celebrate, any like um, ideas for for like a, a raffle or, or something or a contest, like we're open to all of it. We'll we'll listen to it. We'll we'll talk. But yeah, like this is this is I guess a a thank you to you guys for listening to us babble for a year, and uh, we're we're excited for the next year to see what we can do if the Overwatch League still exists. Yeah, we'll we'll see if it survives after season three, and uh, what what the uh, higher ups will allow us to do. You know, are we are we moving from? Are we, are we gonna stick in the Blizzard space? Do we have to? Or are we just going to become a, you know, believing gaming channel? Which I wouldn't mind. Uh, I'm down for that. Yeah, I mean, we end up talk talking about, about random gaming things anyway. So exactly, it's like uh, we don't even really have to change. Oh, yeah. And uh, last but not least, if you guys have Netflix, watch High Score. Uh, it's a great uh, documentary about the history of video games. Oh, I forgot to come. I completely forgot to ask you this. This is going to be, I don't know if I'll keep this in, but the, just to like, no, I'll keep it in just to educate the uh, our listeners. So, Kevin, I'm doing a thing for, for camp where I'm doing a screening series where I'm going to show kids like foreign film and documentary film and like discuss things with them and like, discussion questions like background information and the two that i happen to pick just because i could find like easily shareable screenable links are spirited away and um jiro dreams of sushi so kevin as someone who is japanese like what are some cultural things or like discussion questions that you think would be important to bring up to a bunch of like eight to 14 year olds about spirited away because that's the first one we're doing okay spirited away um i feel like this this is something that i love about Miyazaki films in general um you could take note and you could watch any Miyazaki film and this applies um watch the relationship between human and environment it is always something that Miyazaki pushes like if you want to go back to Totoro like Totoro was about how humans and the forest can like live together and how we can help each other out in a way um, the complete opposite of that is Princess Mononoke. You see how humans are taking advantage of the natural resources and how that's hurting and changing the perspective of the forest around them. Um, when it comes to Spirited Away, it's about the way how us humans look at the spiritual world, which we all think is like bogus and everything, um, versus the way how Chihiro has to live through it, where it's very real. It's something that exists here. Um, and that is something that I look forward to in every single Miyazaki film. It's like, mm-hmm. like even the most basic of basics, like Ponyo is about being in the sea versus on land. Um, that the difference between, um, you know, living, living on the ground and living in the sky with the wind rises. So that's like literally the difference in the way how his characters interact. Um, it's, yeah, that's why Spirited Away is a really strong one. There's a reason why it won, uh, it won an Oscar. Yeah, um, the first anime film to win an Oscar. Yeah, it's it's deep in that way, and it's just really interesting when you look at it more in depth. Um, uh-huh. 
I guess culturally, I mean, the the weird thing about that whole thing is like the bathhouse. Um, yeah. How it's kind of, it's a bigger setting, but also like there's so much more out there that you want to know. Um, I guess you could say it's also, it is also technically a coming of age story where it's like Chihiro is learning about life in general. So yeah, it it's a very good one to show like a, like that kind of age group mm-hmm. um i was saying like if you're going older if they were like high school kids i would have like pushed you towards satoshi kon um still one of my favorite directors of all time uh sadly he passed away um a while ago but like his stuff is like it, it's a little bit more raunchy but it's also insane in a way like i mean i'll look into him for my own consumption yeah, okay. The 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 funnest thing to do, okay. My favorite film by Satoshi Kon is Paprika. Um, I've heard of Paprika. Yeah. So you watch Paprika, you 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 just enjoy the ride that Paprika is, then watch Inception by you know by Nolan. Nolan? Yes. So you'll see how much Paprika inspired Nolan in that. Another one is you watch Perfect Blue. Then you watch Requiem of a Dream by um, uh, Aronofsky. Those two go hand in hand. He actually bought the rights to make Perfect Blue as a live action. Um, there, you know that scene in... I, I feel like Requiem has the better, well-known one. But uh, there's a scene where a, there's a girl in a bathtub. And she's like, she sticks her head underwater. And then she's like yelling uh-huh. like at herself. That is taken shot for shot from Perfect Blue. Um, like that whole sequence is perfect blue, and he had the right to take that if he wanted it. So, um, yeah, it's fun to go from. Yeah, you go Requiem of Dream, then Perfect Blue, then Black Swan, because they all have the same ah, okay like vibe to it. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting to know, you know, how Western films have affected. Yeah, like this kind of vibe you know is there anything that like you as someone of a japanese background take from the film that like someone like me being filipino or like someone who's like african or who's black or latino Mm -hmm. or or white might not might not get the same um impact or relevance or, or understanding of it i think the only thing that really like goes over people's heads is like if there are expressions or um like word phrases that you're just like oh okay yeah like in japanese like um well let me see if i can find one like as an example it's just like things that are lost in translation like i I know in the uh, in the original one like the the bathhouse work bathhouse workers are slugs and frogs and that doesn't translate into the english one yeah that that's just because like they were like oh that's gross like why would the bathhouse with a slug in it uh but like honestly like bathhouse culture in japan is very different from i mean we don't even have bathhouses in the u.s but like going to a bathhouse just slip in with a stranger is like what's up yeah you said just be butt naked next to a stranger taking a shower and then just soaking in the same water it's it's kind of it's a weird experience but it's something that you got to do uh in japan at least it's it's just like more of a calming thing it's not like a well there are some that are for everyday use but like more it's more of a it's Friday. I'm unwinding, uh, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's rather interesting to see how those translate over. But if you want to do okay, if you want to do one a Satoshi Kon film that's like short, er, that gets the same vibe, but um, is more kid friendly. Uh, Tokyo Godfathers. Um, oh, that's him. Yes, I haven't seen it, but that. I know I've. It's been on TV, and I just never sat down to watch it, but. Like yeah. I know of Tokyo Godfathers. Yeah, Tokyo Godfathers. If if you guys are interested, it is about uh, three homeless people who find a baby on Christmas Eve, um, and their whole goal as homeless people, they feel like, oh, the mother must have lost the child, and it must have like ended up here, um, and they go on this whole wild ride of trying to find the baby's mother. Um, that's literally the whole gist of it. Um, and then I know on Adult Swim now they're showing um they're showing Paranoia Agent, which is also done by Cohen. Ah. Um 
which is one of my favorite series just because of that. Um, but yeah, it, it's just interesting to to know that. I wouldn't say that there's anything really lost in translation um, in in both of those films. They're both really solid films. Um, if you're going for, you know, Japanese vibes in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it really depends on what you want to make them feel. Um, yeah. I've just requested Tokyo Godfathers from my uh, local library. Yeah, I would say that. And um, these are these are more just anime films in general. Um, if you liked, what's his face? Uh, Makoto Shinkai, the guy who does like Your Name and stuff like that. Um, his stuff is always how the environment reflects the internals of the characters in a way. Um, so for example, like he has one called uh forest of e- or garden of Eden, where it's like always raining until like this guy finds like another girl and then it's all sunny. It's like essentially like the character's feelings are externalized through the weather. Um, I would also say, I feel like a good one to show, kids is well it's kind of it's a no i wouldn't say no it's not dark it's dark in context but it's not like malicious or wrong um what's that a silent voice have you you've heard of that one before right that one i haven't heard i was afraid you were gonna say grave of the fireflies oh no 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 no! don't don't destroy kids with graves of fire i was gonna That's... be like no i'm not trying to depress these kids i'm trying to teach them <laughs> Dude, just imagine like this, this is what actually happened in uh when I was in AP Lit back in high school, um, we we read Hiroshima, um, and then my teacher was like, "Okay, we actually finished the module early. Um, what do you guys want to do?" And I'm, I was like, "Yo, there's a movie about the aftermath of the bombings done by Miyazaki," and he's like, oh, "Okay, so just give it to me." Like I have a DVD copy of it, so I lent it out to him, and he's like. Oh, cool. No. We're watching this for three days. And I'm like, wait, three days? You're going to break this film up into three days? And I was like, I'm so sorry, guys. And everybody's like, oh, cool. We're watching a movie. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, like, no. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and they're like, it's anime Bye. torture. Yeah. Tor- but, t- torture by anime. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where you don't want to know that that happened, but it's historically correct. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you got to know. Yeah. The, the hardest part to know about that, though, is that was a double feature okay so you have grave of the fireflies right you're like whoa that that's deep right yeah no reason right like that the back side of that was totoro (laughs) so like imagine having this like heart-wrenching story like followed by like this nice like nature like (laughs) thing so without the money from they they both wrote at the same time so like you're you would watch Totoro and be like, oh, that was fun. And you'd watch Grave of the Fireflies and just be like, what is this? Like, <laughs> what happened? Uh, so yeah, it's it's one of those things. Oh my God. But yeah, um, what I was going back to, A Silent Voice. Um, that one's about a girl who is mute, who gets picked on uh, in like kindergarten by this kid and the the main character is the is the bully you follow the bully and how it has affected his life um like he was yeah he was a dick like as a as a little kid but his whole like thing is he's trying to he learned like after the bullying thing everybody hated him for obvious reasons like why would you bully a mute girl um a mutant deaf girl like that's literally cannot fight back yeah um and so he ma- he puts it upon himself. Like the first thing that you actually see him in the film do is gets all of his money and he's about to commit suicide. Like it's really, it's like really dark. He's like, I, I quit my job. I'm going to go do this. Um, but you realize like over the course of time that he's actually, he learned sign language. So if he ran into her again, he could apologize. Um, and he does, he does run into her again. And it's just like a matter of, is it okay? Like how much damage does your past do to help you in the future? And Uh is it, can somebody like help? Well, 
like can people change over time and if so are you allowed to forgive them Mm -hmm. Um, that is the real thing to really bring up from this so um it's a deep one but it's a good one to show to kids early because then they get like they understand like yeah you, you may be a jerk now but there's always time to change like you don't always have to do what you need to do uh-huh that's the yeah that's a really important lesson to teach kids i'll definitely i'll look into that and see if if, if it doesn't uh ruin their uh their happy-go-lucky attitude that I'm trying to instill in them. But, like, it's definitely something important to bring up. But yeah, I will definitely look into Tokyo Godfathers because I've heard so much about it. It's just I've never sat down to watch it. But it's coming from my library. So I'll eventually sit down and watch it. But, uh, yeah, thanks for, for listening to our gameplay section and our, uh, our little tangent we went on there. Uh, hopefully you learned something. Uh, yeah, send us messages on what you want us to do for the... Uh, the year anniversary and we'll see you next week for that next week we update you on any new information from the world of overwatch and prepare for the postseason tournament thanks for listening to this week's episode if you like what you hear please like rate and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms and follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. Questions or comments? Please send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. If you'd like to advertise with our show, please contact our network at believe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.